cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined today by my co-host, Sean Diller. We have two parts to today's show, the Heartland Headline segment, where we will cover the biggest stories of the week, followed by the Lightning Round, where we'll cover the rest of our favorites in rapid succession. Hey, Sean, ready to start this show? Is former President Trump ready to join up with some Nazis and sue Facebook? Oh, yeah. (laughs) COVID variants run wild among the unvaccinated. Missouri now leads the nation in a list no one wants to be on the most new coronavirus cases per capita in the last two weeks. Health experts point to the Delta variant, especially in southwest and northern Missouri, where vaccination rates are very low. In Springfield, Missouri, Mercy Hospital has been forced to borrow ventilators to keep up with demand. The hospital is also adding a second COVID ICU unit. Meanwhile, Cox Health in Springfield has been moving patients to less crowded hospitals. Both Mercy and Cox are also working to bring in traveling nurses. This comes after some of the hardest hit areas of the state, like Springfield, saw a 27% increase in COVID-19 hospitalizations. That hospitalization rate is expected to grow among fears that holiday gatherings could bring fresh cases. Republican Governor Mike Parson tweeted a picture of himself at a fireworks celebration in the tourist town of Branson with a large crowd behind him. Missouri ranks 43rd nationwide on vaccinations compared to the rest of the country, with 39.5% of the population fully vaccinated. But in many communities, vaccination rates are in the teens. Neighboring Kansas is 40th on that list, with 42% of its population fully vaccinated. Christina Heinen, health director for the Missouri Health Department, said, quote, Every single person who's vaccinated is one place that COVID can't come in and can't further mutate into another variant. Yeah, didn't Parson also kind of strike back at uh, some of the hospitals who are having to borrow ventilators and things like that and say something along the lines of there's not a ventilator shortage here in Missouri. Uh, It's just bad management. (laughs) How callous can you be? If a hospital doesn't have enough ventilators, it must mean that the hospital is poorly managed. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a little yeah, bit of a stretch. Heaven forbid that our health officials in the state depend upon you know people making the right choice and getting vaccinated. And that's what kills me about like I've run into plenty of people who are like, you know, I'm not going to get vaccinated. It's my choice. You know, like it's if I get sick, it's on me. Blah blah blah. But you you're impacting other people like there there are healthcare workers who have to deal with this and possibly have young kids at home that can't be vaccinated yet and you know it's just you right. get vaccinated or you wear face masks because you care about your fellow man like right. it's not it's not this this macho image you need to uphold or i i don't even know what drives well, and it's true it's like you know decision. there's nothing macho about being an idiot who takes up a hospital bed and then somebody else in your community dies, you know? Yeah. And the sad fact is usually people don't figure that out until they're in that hospital bed. And then like, there's plenty of stories of people who are like, ah, man, I should have gotten vaccinated. You, you should probably get vaccinated and it falls on deaf ears. Right. Right. And I've also heard anecdotal stories of people being in that hospital bed and telling the respiratory therapist or telling the care team, don't tell me this is COVID. And, uh, you know, 
the the awkward fact is they do have COVID and um, you know, it's, we're just still nowhere on this discussion. Anyway, mm. we're getting to herd immunity the messy way. I'll tell you that. Maybe. <laughs> Next up an IRS backlog. The Internal Revenue Service still had more than 35 million tax returns to process at the end of this year's filing season, a backlog four times bigger than at the end of the 2019 filing season. About 23 million of those returns were filed by individuals who may be waiting on refunds or stimulus checks, according to a report released Wednesday by the Taxpayer Advocate Service, an independent organization within the IRS. The challenges of working during the pandemic, combined with last-minute tax changes made by Congress amid providing relief for struggling Americans, created a difficult tax filing season for the IRS, which has seen its budget shrink over the past decade. The agency started the year with a backlog of returns for the 2020 filing season, which coincided with the onset of the pandemic. While last year's filing season was bumpy, the number of unprocessed returns as of mid-May was still more than double what was left over in 2020. Aaron Collins, the National Taxpayer Advocate, writes, This filing season was the quintessential definition of a perfect storm, a particularly bad or critical state of affairs arising from several negative and unpredictable factors, resulting in tens of millions of taxpayers experiencing hardship and uncertainty in trying to reach a live assister. Due to the reduction of in-person service during the pandemic and new tax changes, the IRS received nearly four times the calls this year as in 2018, and only 9% of callers were able to reach a live person to ask for help, according to the report. The IRS, in response to the independent report, said that it has made major strides over the past two years to streamline hiring. It is also continuing to improve telephone service for taxpayers and has enabled more employees to work virtually. Despite all of the challenges, the IRS processed 136 million individual tax returns and issued 96 million refunds, totaling $270 billion during the 2021 filing season. It also successfully delivered three rounds of stimulus checks for a total of 475 million payments worth $807 billion. Now, Sean, this story actually hits home for me and my family. We filed our taxes back in March, and... The government owes us over $3,000 and we can't even get information using their where's my refund tool. I mean, oh, I mean, wow. I log in, I put my information in and it says that it doesn't match up. Like it doesn't even say still processing. It just says it doesn't match up and I can't get anybody on the phone. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I definitely heard people are spending hours trying to get someone at the IRS on the phone. And a lot of times when they do finally get a real person, it's like you said, you know, the, the problem, the reason that, you know, the, the taxpayer needs assistance is that there's a glitch in the IRS system. So, you know, it's definitely been a mess over there for a few years. Yeah. And I, I know that I read the report and a lot of the problems arising from there are more manual filings this year. And of course, like the IRS is handling all of this stimulus payout too. So that's more workload. And you look at stuff like in 2019, uh, the one of the final budgetary things of the Trump administration and the Congress under Trump was to reduce the IRS's budget. Uh, they got about 60% of what they asked for, and they've, they're making hay. They're saying it's not enough. And right now, 
the Biden infrastructure plan has provisions in it to help fund the IRS more. But like just coming out today, there were news stories about conservative groups that are trying to talk Mitch McConnell into derailing things so that the IRS doesn't get the funding. I mean, what is your take on like, why would they be doing that? Yeah, I read about that too. And, you know, it's, it's kind of this age old thing where Democrats are, Democrats feel pressure to act responsibly and and keep the government functioning. And, you know, especially today's GOP, I think has gotten so cynical that, you know, you always want to get the cheap political points if you can. And so, you know, there's some extremist groups like, you know, the Tea Party sort of groups and right wing organizations that are really just trying to deny the Biden administration and Democrats any sort of win and using the unpopularity of the IRS as a cudgel to try and and break that coalition apart. So, you know, we'll see if that actually works or not. Um, you know, the Democrats really have have a couple of opportunities, I guess, you know, two opportunities to pass something. They'll they'll pass something with reconciliation and no Republican votes. And you know, they'll, they'll try to pass a bill with Republican votes. So, you know, maybe this will pass and, and maybe not, but, you know, the IRS does do important work around here and, uh, you know, it sucks that they're, <laughs> that they're, they're definitely not having a good year. Yeah. And I mean, it, it looks like the uh, provisions in the Biden infrastructure plan are specifically set up to bring more money into the government. I mean, they talk about how are you going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for this? And by propping up the IRS so they can more streamline their functions, they're going to collect more of the taxes that they're supposed to collect. And then more revenue is going to come into the government to help pay for some of these infrastructure things. Um, and so I guess there's a cynical part of me that sees these conservative groups as if they, the more they harangue the IRS and make it to where they can't do their job. That's more money in the pocket of businesses who, you know, fly under the radar because the IRS can't investigate properly whether they're paying taxes or not. Right, right. The amount of people Could who just will be me though. No, I mean, yeah, the folks who willfully break tax law and evade taxes are, you know, some of these anti-tax and super wealthy business sort of groups that would love to see the IRS defunded. So most regular folks get money back. So that's the reason to fund the IRS <laughs> if you're keeping score at home. Kansas groups halt voter registration drives in response to fears from new election laws. The League of Women Voters of Kansas and other nonprofits are suspending voter registration drives for fear of criminal prosecution under a new state law. The groups filed a lawsuit over new election-related restrictions enacted by the legislature this session, and a judge has yet to act on a request for a temporary injunction to block enforcement of the laws until the case is resolved. One of the provisions makes it a crime to engage in activity that, quote, gives the appearance of being an election official, end quote. Without clarity from the court, the organizations argue in court filings there is a serious risk that someone will mistake people who are knowledgeable about voter registration as election officials. Jacqueline Lightcap, co-president of the League of Women Voters of Kansas, says she has asked the organization's nine local leaders to temporarily suspend their voter education and registration efforts. It's very disheartening, Lightcap said. We're not happy about it. We're not pleased. We don't want to do it. But at the same time, it needs to be known that this is not a good law. 
Support for President Donald Trump's lies about voter fraud in the 2020 election seemed to motivate the GOP-controlled legislature to rewrite the state's election laws, despite assurances from Republican Secretary of State Scott Schwab that Kansas elections were secure. House Bill 2183 adds new restrictions and penalties for touching someone else's ballot, distributing ballots, helping someone turn in their ballot, or altering the postmark on an advance ballot. Under the law, false representation of an election official is a felony crime with a punishment of up to 17 months in prison and a $100,000 fine. Democratic Governor Laura Kelly vetoed the bills, which included new restrictions on the distribution of applications for mail-in ballots. The legislature's two-thirds Republican majority overrode her vetoes, clearing the way for the laws to take effect on July 1st. The League of Women Voters, Kansas, Loud Light, Kansas Appleseed Center for Law and Justice, and the Topeka Independent Living Resource Center filed a lawsuit June 1st in Shawnee County District Court challenging the constitutionality of the bills. The groups on June 17th asked Judge Teresa Watson to issue a temporary injunction before the laws went into effect, but the judge has yet to rule on that request. Davis Hammett, president of Loud Light, said his organization is suspending all voter registration and education efforts until they've got a ruling. His organization had planned a voter registration drive for this weekend to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age to 18. Hammond said, quote, this new voter suppression law irreparably harms Kansans every day it remains in effect. Kansans miss the opportunity to be engaged. Our team misses its right to exercise free speech and our democracy is undermined. Rather than celebrate this important milestone out in our communities, we will be forced to the sidelines. Court filing said Loudlight will become completely inoperable under the new law, and Hammett said his organization will have to suspend activities at music and food festivals and other events where it typically would register hundreds of new voters during the summer months. Resolved soon, he said, it will impact the organization's campus campaigns when students arrive at universities for the fall semester. Young people are the highest unregistered population, and therefore any barrier to registration disproportionately impacts them, Hammond said. We are legitimately concerned that our staff and volunteers might face criminal charges if someone at the farmer's market subjectively thinks they might be impersonating an election official and reports them, said Caleb Smith, a voter engagement campaign director for Kansas Appleseed. The vagueness of the law allows for the possibility it could be weaponized by those seeking to suppress the vote in Kansas. Given that these extremely punitive voter suppression laws are being passed in other states around the country, I would expect other groups to have responses like this. You know, there's the response of, of filing a lawsuit to try and get the laws overturned. But in the short term, you know, these groups are nonprofits. And, you know, what, what we're seeing is that folks who would normally be able to lawfully stand outside at a farmer's market with a clipboard and register folks to vote, you know, that is being attacked in a way that uh, I've definitely never seen in my lifetime. And the groups are responding by, by closing their doors and staying in and not engaging people, which is a shame. I don't really blame them. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's one of those situations where you just, you have to blame the bad actors. I mean, it is so transparent what the GOP is doing in this country, trying to shut down voting as in as many ways as they can. Uh, Any efforts that they can, undermined to increase voter voter rolls and make it easier for people to get there and, and vote. I mean, they see it as a threat to their future as a party. 
Absolutely. It's, it's crazy how widespread this strategy of, you know, the GOP is working to secure their future by making it more difficult for more Americans to vote. It's just, it's just so, so sad. In Iowa, beef ranchers rejoice over new options. A newly formed Iowa company said last week it plans to build a $325 million beef processing plant in southwest Iowa that will employ 750 people when it begins operating in late 2023. Cattlemen's Heritage, an investor-owned company led by Chad Tettinger, plans to build a meatpacking plant about five miles from Council Bluff in Mills County that will process roughly 400,000 head of cattle each year. Now, Tettinger said weak cattle prices, strong consumer demand, and available investment capital that had been sidelined during the COVID-19 pandemic helped drive the decision to build the facility. The company, which expects to process cattle from Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota, meets a growing call for regional facilities to compete with the nation's four largest meat packers, which process about 85% of the nation's beef. The plant will focus on buying cattle from a small family-owned operations said Tettinger, who also owns Tencorp Inc., a cattle industry construction firm. We have no interest in buying our cattle from a couple of large feedlots. We want to buy our cattle from as many producers as possible. The added processing capacity can help address major disruptions in the cattle that the cattle industry has seen in recent years. A fire idled a Tyson Foods beef processing plant in Holcomb, Kansas in August of 2019, and the coronavirus outbreak last year sickened thousands of workers and temporarily closed meatpacking plants across the Midwest, which cut processing capacity and drove down prices for producers while increasing profits for meatpackers and raising prices for consumers. Teddingshire wants a healthy cattle market so young Iowa producers can stay on the farm. He also says, if we as an industry destroy our supply chain, just about every small town will be gone. The project is expected to create 3,319 direct and indirect jobs with an economic impact of about $6.4 billion from construction through the first five years of operation, according to a study by Ernie Gross, a Crichton University economist. I mean, Sean, this it sounds like good work. Uh, I'm always a fan of... uh, folks who are helping out the smaller guys, because I know from a lot of different reports that I've seen and different news stories that these larger meat packers, whether they be for beef or poultry, I mean, the smaller you are, the more you get pushed around by them. So it's, it's good to see someone kind of wanting to work with the smaller ranchers out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope they're able to find success when it comes to the uh, you know, the marketing and selling of, of, locally produced and family produced agricultural products because you know i'm sure there's a reason like you said that uh that four meat packers handle 85 percent of the business and it's because they're super aggressive and um you know but if if we are going to have farming be a viable lifestyle and career in the midwest then we need places to sell where we're not going to be completely raked over the coals you know, just because you're not a huge producer. Yeah. And I like the focus on smaller ranchers too, because those are, those are at home folks. Those are American run farms. Uh, They're not some of the CAFOs that we've talked about. Uh, They're not owned by out of country foreign interests. I mean, it's, it's just good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the big ag companies that have come to dominate this region, 
you know, more and more of them are foreign owned corporations. So this is definitely a step more in the right direction. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are part of a larger family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week, where host Adam Summer interviews folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, farmer, scientist, you name it. Included in that show is the Talking Politics section, where our panel of experts dig deep into the nuts and bolts of what you've been hearing out there. On Wednesdays, you could get one or even two shows between the Marquise Govan Show, a bully caucus roundup, focusing namely on politics in St. Louis and the surrounding regions, and The Delta, a show dedicated to clearing up some of the science being muddied in the news and social media by our own resident science teacher, Nicholas Linky, often with co-host Sean Diller. Lightning round. In Illinois, the COVID-19 vaccine lottery started Thursday. Residents are automatically entered if they've had at least one vaccine dose, and anyone who got their first dose by July 1st was eligible for Thursday's drawing. There were four drawings Thursday, a $1 million prize, and three $150,000 scholarships for students. The Illinois Department of Public Health will reach out to winners via phone and email. They're not going to ask for any, any personal information. And that drawing will be the first of nine weekly drawings held throughout the summer. Governor Pritzker announced the lottery last month, and the goal is to encourage more people to get that vaccination. What a refreshing concept. Mayor Tashara Jones and Congresswoman Cori Bush of St. Louis meet with Denver Mayor Michael Hancock. The leaders met in Denver this week to learn more about the city's Support Team Assistance Response, or STAR, program, which redirects some 911 calls to mental health care professionals and social workers. Of the 1,351 calls the STAR program responded to over the last year, not one had to request backup from the Denver Police Department. St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones said, quote, we need to put St. Louis back on the map and learning from other cities is part of how we do that. STAR helps reimagine public safety and help police focus on their most important job, solving violent crime. Last week, Congresswoman Cori Bush introduced the People's Response Act, which would create a division within the Department of Health and Human Services that would federally fund programs like the Denver STAR program. Congresswoman Bush said public safety is public health. And Denver is leading the way in prioritizing care over criminalization. From supporting grassroots organizations like the Colorado Village Collaborative Safe Outdoor Spaces Program, to serving unhoused community members, to launching the STAR program to respond to mental health and substance use crises, Denver has invested in non-carceral, community-centered approaches to public safety, and those investments have produced tangible results. We must make this a reality in every community across the country. That's what the People's Response Act is all about. Now that's a congresswoman. Fear mounts in Missouri Governor Parson of door-to-door government vaccinators. Missouri Governor Mike Parson, a truly silly man and supposed sentient goldfish, took a comment by Biden about getting the word out and urging our fellow Americans to get vaccinated via grassroots movement way out of context on Wednesday. The comment from Biden was, now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to help get the remaining people protected from the virus. 
Look, equity, equality, it remains at the heart of our responsibility of ensuring that communities that are hardest hit by the virus have the information and access to get vaccinated. The obvious context being a desire to form some grassroots work to help folks to get the vaccine was construed as a threat by the governor as he fired back on Twitter saying, I have directed the health department that sending government employees or agents door to door to compel vaccination would not be an effective or welcome strategy in Missouri. Honestly, though, if anyone has any ideas on how to get Missourians to get more serious about the vaccine, I'm all ears. Yeah. And I know we don't do it much banter on the lightning round, but just to push back on the misinformation, the door-to-door stuff is not to compel vaccination. That's a bullshit argument that's made to scare people. And that's conduct unbecoming of a governor. I, it makes me so upset. But we do know that a lot of the people who aren't vaccinated, the fact is that the reason they're not vaccinated is because they just literally don't know where to go in their community to get vaccinated. They might not know that it's safe from a, from information that they can trust. And so sending out representatives from the government's health agencies to let people know, hey, you can get your vaccination at this Walgreens in your neighborhood. You can get a car or a shuttle from this local organization. That does make sense to do it at the neighborhood and door-to-door level and they're handing out pamphlets. They're not compelling vaccinations. It's a bullshit nope. scare tactic. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Nobody's kicking in your door to stab you in the fucking arm, Parson. They just want to let people know where to go to get your vaccine. Right. And he's trying to score cheap political points. Unbelievable. Chip Roy says it's the House GOP's job to slow down infrastructure legislation and other Democratic priorities. In a recently surfaced video, Representative Chip Roy, Republican of Texas, said he considers it the job of House Republicans to slow down the Democratic agenda on infrastructure and other priorities until after next year's elections, and that his party will benefit from, quote, 18 more months of chaos and the inability to get stuff done, which is what all Americans really want. Roy's comments came during an event late last month hosted by Patriot Voices, a conservative group founded by former Senator Rick Santorum. Another awful, awful individual. Roy said, quote, honestly, right now for the next 18 months, our job is to do everything we can to slow all of that down to get to December of 2022, a year and six months from now, and then get in there and leave. Royce heard saying as he discusses transportation and infrastructure proposals as an example of bills he won't vote for. At another point, Roy noted that it remains unclear whether a compromise infrastructure plan crafted by a, a bipartisan group of senators and the White House will move forward. He said, quote, nobody knows what anybody's going to do right now. And I actually say, thank the Lord, because 18 more months of chaos and the inability to get stuff done. That's what we want. End quote. Really just saying the quiet part out loud, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's what every American really loves to hear, that uh, their representatives are going to dick around until the next election, because that's when they feel like they can do something. Well, he's bragging about it in Kentucky. On Tuesday, Mitch McConnell talked about the benefits of Biden's American Rescue Plan and its impact on Kentucky but he also made sure to mention how the package passed along party lines. 
It passed on a straight party line vote. Not a single member of my party voted for it, McConnell said on Tuesday. So you're going to get a lot more money. I didn't vote for it, but you're going to get a lot more money. He continued, cities and counties in Kentucky are getting closer to seven or eight million dollars. And if you add that total up to the amount that's coming into our state, it's about four billion dollars. That's twice what we were saying last year. So my advice to members of the legislature and other local officials is to spend it wisely, because hopefully this windfall doesn't come again. Biden, for his part, clapped back at McConnell, boasting about the benefits of COVID-19 relief package, saying that the senator loves our programs. He told me he wasn't going to get a single. Biden said that Mitch McConnell told him that he wasn't going to get a single vote for Republicans to help get that one point nine trillion dollar program for economic growth out there. Biden says, look it up, man. He's bragging about it in Kentucky. It's a great thing for Kentucky. It's getting four billion dollars for help. I love hearing an 80 year old man call people man. Look it up, man. <laughs> Look it up, man. I love it. <laughs> well, folks, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet us at the Heartland Pod and visit us for links to all our shows and our merchandise shop at heartlandpod.com. Flyover Views are production of MidMap Media LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from the Kansas Reflector, Associated Press, Washington Post, the office of St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, Business Insider, Chicago's very own WGN-TV, and the Des Moines Register. Remember to subscribe so you get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Same time, same place. Take care.